You're listening to the Modern Web Podcast. For more podcasts, videos, and events, find us online at modern-web.org or follow us on Twitter at modern.web. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T-W-E-B. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Modern Web Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Osell. I'm an architect at This.Labs. Today, I have two co-hosts. My co-hosts today are fellow developers at This.Labs, Luis Avias and Matthew Pagan. Hi, Luis. Matthew, how are you doing? Hey there, happy to be here. Hello everyone, it's my pleasure to be here. Today we are extremely excited to talk about Lit and Web Components with Justin Fignani, who is a staff software engineer at Google and a Lit core team lead. Justin, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, thanks for having me. All right, before we dive into the episode, first we're going to thank today's sponsor. And this episode is brought to you by Dexsecure, a company that optimizes websites with a single line of code, thereby giving you back precious time to focus on what you love doing, building new and exciting websites. Be it images, JavaScript, CSS, HTML, fonts, or even third-party assets, Dexsecure can optimize them all and always serve the best version of your website to your audiences. Visit dexsecure.com slash modernwebpodcast and get the first month free when you sign up for any basic or pro plan or try out free with their free account. That's dexsecure.com, D-E-X-E-C-U-R-E slash modern web podcast. All right. So today we are happy to talk about Lit. Lit just announced a pretty major update and we're so lucky and so glad to have Justin here. We, we all on the podcast and the panel here are using Lit professionally on our project. So uh, this was must-watch TV for all of us. Um, but for the people that maybe aren't familiar with what we're talking about, uh, either Web Components or, or Lit, the library, or any of its precursors, Justin, can you kind of start out by just kind of briefly introducing what Lit is and, and what you guys just announced? Yeah, so, so Lit is actually kind of a new unified name and brand for uh, a couple of libraries that have uh, been our main focus for a, a few years now already. Um, and the basic idea behind Lit is that uh, it's a library that helps you build fast and lightweight web components. Um, and this library focuses on just the things that you kind of need to add on top of um, the raw web components APIs to give you a good developer experience um, and help ensure that you have a good user experience like as you get that good developer experience. So uh, the libraries are very small. Um, all told, I think they weigh in just under uh, 6K, uh, minified and compressed. Um, and they're very fast. They, they are you know, near the top of the pack for most benchmarks uh, that we see and quite a bit faster than most of the major frameworks. Um, that are out there. Um, and so the, the library basically gives you declarative templating. Um, that's what we call the lit HTML templates. Uh, and then on top of that, it gives you a base class for building a web component that gives you reactive properties, um, this reactive update lifecycle that you can plug into um, at very various points, um, and an easy way to do scope styling. Um, so those are like the main areas that a developer kind of needs help with when you're using raw web components APIs. Um, and then other than that, we try to stay pretty minimal um, and not get in the way of the platform APIs and just kind of let you use them if you need to or use our augmentation of it. Um, so that's the, that's the main gist of it there. So I know when people are sort of first learning about this space, they hear a lot of terms, um, things like custom elements, things like web components, things like Polymer, lit element before and now lit. Can you kind of help collapse that word cloud down for people? Like, are there important distinguish 
distinguishing characteristics between those? Are they kind of interchangeable terms? How should people understand kind of the different uh, words and labels that they hear kind of tossed around in the space? Yeah, I mean, we hear a lot of people have gotten confused over certain combinations of those words in the past, um, especially with uh, polymer and polyfills, um, just because they both start with poly. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the first thing to understand is that um, web components are a set of APIs uh, that have been added to the browsers over uh, several years now. Um, and, and probably the most important one uh, conceptually is custom elements. Um, and the idea with custom elements is that, uh, you know, we want to make it possible for developers to add new HTML tags. Uh, so instead of having to wait for standards committees to, you know, create a new like uh, QR code tag or uh, tab panel, you know, or combo box or something like that, you're able to make your own. Um, and so the idea there is that you register a tag name with the browser and then you have some implementation that goes along with it. And now when the browser sees that tag name, it knows to uh, create your implementation. Um, so this is the basic component model um, that, that we talk about when we talk about web components. Um, and that's what is, uh, you know, most directly comparable to the components that you'll get with a framework. So that's web components. Um, as web components were being added to the browsers, uh, browsers that didn't have them yet required web component polyfills to implement these APIs. So there's a set of web component polyfills. And then there was Polymer, which was uh, just kind of the main uh, library that was made by our team in conjunction with the Chrome team so that you know, we could take these low-level web component APIs and make them easier to use for component developers. Um, so Polymer was kind of built along with, with the APIs. Um, and Polymer used uh, HTML templates a lot. They used, like, you actually wrote Polymer components uh, very much like Vue in an HTML file with an HTML template. Um, Later on, we were moving away from writing things in HTML files because one of the proposed parts of web components, uh, HTML imports, uh, did not make it. Um, and so we decided to move everything to JavaScript modules because the whole ecosystem was in JavaScript modules and it was an easy way to build an app out of, out of these separate modules. Once we got there, uh, it became obvious that we wanted our template language to play nicer in JavaScript. So instead of writing only HTML, we wanted to write a combination of HTML and uh, JavaScript for the expressions. And that's when lit.html came about. That's our templating language. Um, and so that lets you write these HTML strings with JavaScript expressions inside of them. It looks a little bit like JSX, but it's standard JavaScript. Uh, and then from there, we built up a new web component base class called lit element uh, that helps you use those templates in a web component. Uh, and then we hadn't ever really kind of marketed those as a unified thing together. Uh, and so we recently just kind of merged all of this into a single library with a single brand called Lit. Um, so those are the things right now. Polymer is kind of in maintenance mode. Uh, Polymer and Lit work well together. You can write components in Lit and use them in a Polymer app and vice versa. Um, but going forward, we hope people can talk about web components as standards and then Lit as this optional thing um, that helps you build web components. That is one thing that's really nice about these web components and the, the different libraries in the spec is that because the spec is in the platform itself, you really can use these different libraries, build the web components whichever way you want, and they do play nicely side by side with each other, which has been one of the uh, good good aspects of you know doing migrations sort of bit by bit. It's 
some ways a lot easier to migrate from um, in some ways there's some challenges but some ways it's easier to migrate from you know polymer to lit or you know to the new version of lit because as long as you have that component boundary it uh, it'll just keep working <laughs> until you change its its implementation yeah I mean that's one of the big things we, we talk about interop a lot with web components um, and, you know it's, it's probably the primary kind of advantage of web components. Um, but interop means a lot of different things, right? Like uh, it doesn't necessarily mean interop between frameworks, although that's a, like an important one, right? Like interop can mean interop with the browser. So now the dev tools and all different parts of the browsers understand your components and can help you during development. But it can also mean like interop with yourself in the future. Um, and, you know, we've seen a lot of cases of this, of people kind of changing the way they do some development, but not having to stop you know, progressing their main app as it goes forward. They can incrementally uh, adopt a new library. Um, yeah, and we've even seen people who were coming from a framework and it was easier to incrementally update to web components than it was to update to the new version of that same framework. Um, so yeah, interops worked out very, very well for us. We see people using Polymer and Lit together all the time. Yeah, and that sounds pretty cool. And in addition to the technical changes and the new features that are coming with the lit library. One of the exciting things about what's coming along is the rebranding, let's say, uh, you know, new name, we have the, a new logo and the updates on the community channels also. And what was the motivation behind these changes? Um, I think it's kind of the standard motivation really for any project to like, you know, have a brand and a logo and, and an identity and, and, you know, to build an ecosystem and community group around that. Um, the, the interesting thing about the way uh, Lit came about is that, you know, because we had Polymer already, when we made these libraries, initially they were experiments, right? We didn't um, know that we were going to focus on them as much as we have. So we didn't put a lot of branding effort into them at first, right? Um, and in fact, some ways they could have been called Polymer 4, right? Lit Element could have been called Polymer 4, um, but it was such a drastic change in the way you build components. We wanted to give it a new name. And, and honestly, like the, the Lit HTML name was a complete accident. Um, I, I, I had to name the library something just to publish it to NPM and HTML literals was already taken. And I was like, I don't know, like, what do we call this? It's literally just HTML literals. And I kept saying that it's little and literals. And I was like, okay, uh, lit HTML. And I thought it would be temporary, but it stuck. Um, so yeah, we went a few years without really uh, marketing the library. So in a way, like, you know, lit, the name just kind of acknowledges the way the community was already referring to us. And then unifying the brand and putting a logo behind it and all that is just what any other project, you know, would have done normally. So for us, this is kind of just like uh, finally coming to, you know, the acknowledgement that like Lit is the main thing we're focusing on and this is our identity and, and it, it feels good to get that out there now. With the release of Lit 2.0, what's the upgrade process like now when moving from using Lit Element to using the new package? Yeah, so I mean, we, we, speaking of migration, so, you know, we're trying to be very, very thoughtful and cautious about how we approach migrations here. Um, so, you know, because we're based on web components, we could do a new version that is like completely different and breaks everything very similar to, you know, <laughs> moving from a major framework version or from Polymer to Lit or something like that. Um, 
and and you could you know upgrade a component at a time and have your app still work. So we could lean on that, but we didn't want to. We wanted to make these changes um, as easy to upgrade to as possible. Um, so the first thing is is that we have a new package just called Lit on npm, uh, and we were very fortunate to be able to get like the Lit npm package and the Lit GitHub org uh, from people just because like we asked nicely. Um, that package basically combines the existing lit HTML and lit element packages. Um, but it does that by depending on those packages and re-exporting everything. So all the new code actually went into the existing lit HTML and lit element packages. And if you're already depending on those, all you have to do actually is just update those via NPM and get the new code. And for 90, like 9% of developers, we think it's going to be a drop in replacement. All the imports still work. Um, all the main APIs are just fine. Uh, the HTML template tag, the render function from lit.html, the lit element base class, all that stuff is still there. Um, the biggest change is that the way directives are written has changed, but most people didn't write their own directives. Um, so the easiest thing to do is just to do you know npm install lit.html at 2.0 and uh, or at next right now, because we're still in pre-release phase and, and lit element at next. Um, next, if you want to use to use it, like move to using the lit unified lit package, then you can change your imports and just import the new modules from, uh, or the modules from that new package. Um, and if you wrote directives, we have an upgrade guide on how to write uh, directives in the new style. And then the other APIs that changed uh, were very, very rarely used. So we have an upgrade guide. Most people aren't going to hit them. Um, and then the final thing is we moved IE support to be opt-in. Um, so if your app such a lightning IE, rod. <laughs> yeah, That's such a good yeah. choice. I mean, I, I think everybody's kind of making those moves these days. It's great to see. Uh, I think we see Vue has decided not to support IE 11 and Vue 3. Uh, Angular just announced that they're going to deprecate um, IE 11 and Angular 12. I think I, I think that means it'll be removed in Angular 13. And deprecated in 12, I got to look. Um, I think Preact announced that they're going to remove IE support in Preact 11. Um, so I really like where we ended up on that because what we did is we wrote most of the code in the library as if we're not supporting IE. And then we wrote this other module that goes and patches up the core library to add in whatever changes we needed for IE. And then the other stuff, we just assume that you need to use Babel and polyfills to get IE up to a you know, more modern browser level. Um, so this lets us still support IE if you really need to, but most developers don't have to pay the cost for that support. When watching the uh, release video on YouTube, I was watching it live because I, I was so excited to see all the great news. And there were like four words that your team used to summarize the changes super succinctly. Smaller, better, faster. But I want to touch on that last one, server ready. Yeah. I, I'm eagerly watching the Lit Labs SSR progress. And I was curious how your team is handling it and how close it is to being production ready. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of a tough one in terms of like production ready because um, you know we are not a team that makes apps ourselves. Um, and we, you know, we work with teams, but our teams so far have not been doing SSR. So, you know, we're trying to bootstrap basically, uh, some, some real world testing here. Um, and, 
you know, there's just a, like a ton of different variations on how people put together their servers, um, you know, at what phases they, they want to actually render things and how much they want to render and this and that. So, um, yeah, right now what we're doing is uh, we're working with um, a couple of partners who want to try out SSR and who are willing to deal with the fact that we don't have documentation and that, you know, some of the APIs are changing. Um, and we're trying to put out, uh, you know, demos and various kind of integration points um, for how you might use the SSR code. So we have like, um, it, it's not committed yet, it's in PR still, but we have like COA middleware uh, that will, you know, take any HTML and then run it through our SSR code. Um, and we have like an 11D plugin that kind of does the same thing. So you can like, you know, write your markdown with some tags in it and then run that through web component SSR. Um, so, you know, we're trying to kind of figure out what customers want for those integration points. Um, another thing is like React, for instance, gives you like render to string. Um, and we don't really want to give that API directly because we want to kind of encourage everybody to do streaming incremental SSR out of the box, but we're trying to figure out if that's like feasible and plugs into people's existing systems. Um, so yeah, it, it's coming along. Um, I, it, it's a high priority for us. It's like kind of the next thing after we release all the core libraries. Um, I just can't really give any specific timeline. Um, yeah, our next step there is to to get some better docs and hopefully allow more people to try it out and give feedback. Great. <laughs> Another feature that would jump out to people, of course, uh, if they heard about it, is the reactive controllers. I mean, I think, I don't know if React started it, but like, I think when Hooks dropped in React, it was a pretty big paradigm shift for a lot of people. And I sort of like what TypeScript used to be when people were like, hey, when are you guys getting types? Nowadays, it's kind of like, hey, when are you guys getting hooks? Everybody's asking that Vue has them now, and everybody kind of has their primitives for it. <clears throat> for Lit and the Lit project and what you guys envision, how do you see these becoming part of the toolkit? Do you see this, you know, like with React, it kind of took over the entire paradigm. Do you see that as being something that's very going to be very core to, to new Lit development? Do you see it as something that's just going to enable cool new patterns? For you guys, what are sort of your goals with the, the feature? Yeah, so it's it's interesting to compare uh, reactive controllers to uh, React hooks, um, and I think that it, it it helps to look at what hooks kind of really are to developers, um, and to divide those into two things in in my mind. So one is using the built-in hooks directly, um, like use state and use effect, um, and if you use those hooks directly, they're really kind of a replacement for class syntax, um, right? Like Anytime you use state, you use use state in a render function, right? You could have had a class with a render method and a class field. And that's what we have in lit element, right? Like if you have an app property decorated class field, you can just set that field and that causes a re-render. And it works basically exactly like use state. Um, same thing with use effect, right? Depending on what parameters you pass to use effect, there's kind of like four different versions, you know, some get called on mount and dismount and some get called on dependencies change and stuff like that. So, you know, we have the lifecycle callback methods that you can implement um, to do the same thing. Um, but the other set of use cases for React hooks is custom hooks, right? And what's really interesting there is that that is a case where they've kind of created a unit of reactivity 
that is not a component. So it's like a it's like a partial component definition, and that part is what we're going after um, that use case with reactive controllers. So if you want state for your component, you just put a property on your component. If you you know want to do some code after it renders, you just implement updated. Um, but if you want to vend a utility, and that utility needs its own state that's associated with a component, or uh, to run logic before and after a render, then that's where you can implement a reactive controller. It can have its own state. It can have callbacks for like host connected, host disconnected, uh, host updated, and so forth. Um, and it can trigger a component update with the host.request update. So, you know, we think that like this is kind of comparable to custom hooks in React, to um, views um, uh, composition API. Um, Svelte has a similar thing with these like on mount and on uh, on mount, I think, um, callbacks. Yeah, and so for us, this is going to be, you know, you put that logic in a controller. And so we, we do think this is going to be pretty big and core to lit development. I'm like really excited about it. Um, you can see some of the example controllers that we've made already, like stuff that lets you wrap up an async task or um, this uh, flip animation directive we have, which is actually a controller also, which lets you like automatically animate elements across transitions um, by doing work before and after render. Um, we have a bunch of stuff like, you know, wrapping up mouse and keyboard input or resize and intersection observers as controllers. And the nice thing is just it, it takes an API that has some kind of change over time and lets you plug that into a host in a very easy way and make it very easy for component authors to use. So I think that's going to be really big. I I'm just excited for it because this idea of being able to wrap up behavior at a subcomponent level, I think is while it is already a huge deal, I just think we haven't even yet seen the effects of people sharing these um, reactive atoms, whatever you want to call them. Um, and I'm super excited to see what what becomes of this. You know, for accessibility for for you know for just developer experience for rapidly prototyping things when people are like you said able to share some of these uh reactive controllers that do these things that they otherwise would have had to follow some sort of uh blog post and okay i'll put this code here now go to this part and put this code here i love this idea that they might be able to you know co-locate a lot of that just think we've barely scratched the surface across all the frameworks on what we're going to be able to do when we start sharing this stuff so i'm super excited also yeah, me too. It's it's my favorite new feature. And I think, yeah, you can look at the React Hooks ecosystem to get an idea of the stuff you can do here. Um, and one thing I'm particularly excited about is, you know, we tried to design controllers to be a, a pretty sparse, minimal API at the outset, right? There's like four lifecycle callbacks and like, you know, two things you can call in the host element. And part of the reason for doing that is so that... Um, it's possible to use controllers in other libraries and frameworks. Um, so we have experimented with um, building uh, kind of bridges between controllers and React, uh, Angular, uh, Svelte, and Vue. Um, and we have the React one in our in our new Lit Labs um, uh, kind of area. And so what we hope there is like you know we, we're seeing a lot of uptake in Lit to build design systems. Um, and that's really great because a design system team can share these components among all their app teams, no matter what framework they use. But design systems are more and more not just components. 
um, sometimes they're building the components out of these like little units of state and then wrapping them with different kind of presentation layers. And they do want to enable their other teams and their companies to extend the design system for their app. So that means like not just composing a few components together, but it might actually mean composing some of these controllers together too. So by making them available in all these other frameworks, uh, the design system team can say like, here's my uh, radio button controller. This defines like our you know, fully accessible, well-specced radio button state logic. And now you, you know, if you want to build a different component out of this and, you know, do it in React, you can. So we're super excited about that ability too. That's great. And talking about the, the documentation on the new website, I saw that most of the examples are something very positive for, for us as developers. And you know that one interesting fact about TypeScript is the huge adoption from the community. Several libraries and frameworks uh, currently support it. So I have two questions for you. Is, is Elite implemented in TypeScript? And the second one, do you think TypeScript is the way to go in web development and building apps with web components maybe? Yeah, um, the second part is like a lightning rod question. I'll, I'll, I'll answer the first. That, yeah, I'll, I'll answer the first because it's easy. It's uh, uh, yes, Lit is implemented in TypeScript. Uh, we started using TypeScript on our tools team uh, many years ago, and so a lot of benefits from it. And then we ported uh, uh, Polymer itself to TypeScript, um, and then Lit has always been written in TypeScript. Um, and we see benefits from being able to uh, have some type safety on our own code. Uh, and to provide uh, good types always to the TypeScript users uh, that we have. Um, and then, yeah, on our we have a new website, lit.dev. Um, and on that site, we have a bunch of new samples. Uh, we have an interactive playground and an interactive tutorial and uh, interactive inline samples on every page. So we really tried to like up our game uh, in that area. Um, and we did, for the initial launch of the site, do basically all the examples in TypeScript. Um, and we did that for, for two reasons. One is, is that we, um, we vend some decorators for TypeScript users, um, things like the app custom element decorator and the app property decorator. And this makes component authoring a little more declarative and concise. And we think it's just kind of like it, it reads a little bit nicer. So we wanted to put our best foot forward with the examples there. Um, and then the other is that uh, the type annotations in TypeScript um, we think make these examples easier to understand, you know, even for JavaScript users. Um, you know, oftentimes if you see an example that implements, you know, a function that takes an argument, you might want to know what is the type of that argument. Just, you know, not because you want to write TypeScript, but just because, you know, you need to understand the example. Um, but Lit does not require TypeScript. Uh, it does not require developers to use TypeScript. There is a plain JavaScript analog for every decorator that we have. Uh, and of course, you can just leave the types off of you know the rest of your code. So our goal is to build a system pretty soon, I think, that will let us have a global kind of JavaScript TypeScript switch on the site, um, so that you can see all the examples uh, in plain JavaScript as well. Awesome. Yeah, I know some people are worried. I, I remember when they announced Angular two, they said, "Well, you know, it's TypeScript." You don't have to use TypeScript, but uh, but then this is what the API looks like. So it's good to know that people still kind of have, it's not that you guys went out of your way to make TypeScript kind of mandatory for right. adopting Lit for the new stuff that you guys right. are building. 
Yeah. And the only thing where you really need to change stuff between TypeScript and JavaScript is in the decorator usage. Um, and in fact, we have decorators implemented for Babel. But decorators are kind of in a weird spot right now. The, the spec proposal changed several times. And so we're kind of sitting tight until um, the, the new proposal moves forward. But after it does, and I, I have hope it will, um, you know, all of our examples in TypeScript will work exactly the same in JavaScript if you just remove the types. Um, so yeah, we don't want to force TypeScript on anyone. We do think it's like really great for, you know, error checking and refactoring and whatnot, but, you know, uh, we support plain JavaScript as well, especially because we have a lot of developers who um, are building lit apps without traditional tooling, right? They're not compiling um, their code and bundling it uh, during development at least. And so a lot of those users uh, don't even want to run the TypeScript compiler during their development cycle, and we fully support that. I definitely want to uh, comment on how amazing those docu that documentation is. It's, it's, it, it, there's no better way for someone to just dive right into trying out lit element than just booting up lit.dev, going to the playground, and just trying something out. Like it, I, I, I need to stress how amazing that is to be part of a documentation, that ability to just try out an idea, to just type and type some TypeScript in the browser and there's my code, there's the output right there. Yeah, I, I mean, I wanna give some shout outs to like some inspirations for that. So like the React homepage has those editable examples right on it. Um, and I thought that immediacy was really, really great and we wanted to approach that. Um, and then this felt site, uh, is is really well known for kind of focusing their docs even um, on this kind of interactive tutorial. Um, so yeah, we wanted to bring a lot of that to our site. We had tried this before uh, by embedding um, some of these online code editors into the site. Um, the only issue there is that those tend to kind of load a lot of code and we wanted something that could be server-side rendered and you know show the code without any JavaScript loading and then progressively enhance to be this editable code sample thing. So we built um, what we call the playground elements, um, our own. Um, and they use a technique that we got from uh, the founder of StackBlitz actually, that uh, uses a service worker to emulate a web server. Uh, so that like we don't have like a bundling build when we when we run the samples. We just have the service worker load all the files individually from the main page that you're editing into the iframe that runs the preview. Um, and so we're able to do this like interactive editor with a TypeScript build and load each file individually so you can inspect them in, in the dev tools. Uh, but you can do it without any server at all. It can run off a static file server. Um, so yeah, we were super like happy when all this worked and when we could bring that to our site. We hope other people like use the same playground elements in their sites too. Um, it's good even just for learning. I, you know, even if you don't want to play, like I remember listening to the announcement and hearing the talk about directives and things like that. And I had used them, but to be perfectly honest in the time that I had used them, I don't know that I had called them directives and thought of them in that way or thought of their customizability. And so as I was sitting there poking down the list and it was like, oh, directives, this, directive, this. And I was like, first of all, I was like, oh, okay, that's what that is. And second, of all, I was like, I didn't know you could do this. I didn't know you could do this. Like finding, I like that discoverability of the, more of the features rather than having to read through a bunch of documentation, but to literally just click examples 
and learn that way. So I, I even love it just for the discoverability aspect of both the new stuff and the existing APIs. Yeah, I mean, you give me a thought right there. Like, I, you know, that immediacy is so available now. You know, I wonder how much we can work this into like talks and presentations and just be like, okay, here's a link to a playground. Click on it while I talk and you can try these things out I'm talking about like as we go. Um, yeah, I think that kind of like uh, immediacy and malleability right there is, is, is really awesome. So one of the things that I know... Um... It's been something that the Lit community has sort of been trying to find strategies for is things around end-to-end -end testing, integration testing, um, things that are related to uh, finding particular elements without necessarily wanting to know where inside of a shadow tree a particular piece of DOM is. And I'm kind of curious, is there any changes to any APIs or strategies for that in the new version of Lit? Or is, is this something that's still being evaluated or kind of, you know, any updates to give for people that are working on things like that? Um, there's not really an update from the Lit side. I mean, one of the things that we try to uh, stick to on our side is that Lit is just a library and it's just a library that helps you build web components, right? Um, and so you should be able to build a web component of any shape that you want, any structure, DOM and shadow DOM or whatever with lit. But the end result is what you also could have built by hand or with another library like, like Stencil. Um, and so, you know, we really see a separation here between the libraries that help you build a component and other libraries that might deal with interacting with those components um, or testing an app built out of those components. Um, so we, we do tend to focus a lot on unit testing in the lit ecosystem um, because, you know, once you have well-defined component boundaries, uh, you know, it's much easier to kind of test the behavior of an isolated component, test a bunch of different components in isolation, uh, and then have your integration tests like at another level. Um, so we do have stuff uh, in the ecosystem. Uh, there is an, uh, a group called OpenWC, um, which also has, a sister group called uh, Modern Web. It's the same group of people. Um, and they make like a test runner um, called the Modern Web Test Runner. They have the uh, at web npm org, which is awesome. So they have a bunch of stuff you install, like npmi at web and whatever. So they have uh, at web slash test runner. And that library is really, really, really great. We use it to test our stuff and we recommend it highly. Um, and the way you write tests there is, uh, you it's all client side tests. So you, your tests are actually like, you know, Mocha maybe, you know, and some code that actually like renders a template and tests that the template rendered the right thing or that the component has the right state. Um, and they have some helpers specifically for lit. And then for end-to-end -end testing, um, you know, I think a lot of people use WebDriver and Selenium. And yeah, um, for those who don't know, you know, Shadow DOM's purpose is partially to, you know, encapsulate the DOM. So then when you have tests, that encapsulation can kind of like get in the way a little bit because you might want to test that something inside there is doing the right thing. Um, so yeah, there are some helpers that people have written to, to, to let you basically navigate into Shadow Roots. Um, another strategy we see people do is to take DOM snapshots that go deep through Shadow Roots and then to compare those snapshots. And then we also see a lot of people doing um, pixel-based snapshots. Um, so they'll do some interaction on their screen and then make sure that it matches a golden. Um, and, and 
I don't know. I think aside from, you know, that you have to do a little bit of extra work to find elements that are nested inside of shadow roots, you know, mainly the same techniques apply to end-to-end -end testing that would apply without web components. Yeah, I mean, to, so to, to continue on with the idea of shadow roots, because it's it's interesting. I agree that I think maybe the conceptualization of web components and then lit as well is that um, it's for building these uh, sort of self-contained uh, building blocks, composable blocks. What I've started to see and we've seen on our own teams is that it's such a flexible and powerful library that even though it doesn't have maybe some of the bells and whistles that people have grown used to in Vue and React, it turns out sometimes you don't need those to build scalable, uh, performant websites. And people have started to use Lit Element as a true framework or a framework replacement. They kind of control the whole app as a web component. And when each subcomponent is also a, uh, a web component, sometimes that shadow dumb stuff can kind of get in the way with wanting to read. Sometimes you don't want, you do want the CSS to pierce through. You know, sometimes you do want it to be a little easier to introspect in, or like we just talked about with some of the testing pieces. Uh, kind of curious, you know, this isn't, I know it's not just a lit thing, it's also a web component spec thing, but like lit as a framework, lit as a, an app builder, where are you guys on that now? Where do you think that there's room to go? And you know, do you think that web component spec will change to enable some of that? Yeah, I mean, we see a lot of our customers doing the same thing, uh, building entire apps. Uh, you know, I'd say that you know we call this out on our website three different kind of main use cases, right? Yeah, standalone components, design systems, and apps. Um, and we see a lot of all three. Um, yeah, and I, and on the app side of things, right? You definitely, if you're controlling the entire page from the top down, uh, then you can, you know, loosen up some of the encapsulation, um, or you may want to, you know, in a controlled way, pierce that encapsulation a lot more often, uh, because you control both sides: the the side that's going to use the thing and the side that's providing it. Um, but we still see a lot of customers like see benefits from that encapsulation, just like somebody who's, you know, writing. Uh, uh, a non-UI component application sees benefits from, you know, controlled API definitions and interfaces and encapsulation on the language side. Um, yeah, but but one of the biggest requests, you know, is the ability to have uh, kind of a global style sheet that can affect um, at least some or maybe most of the application level components kind of down from the top level shadow root. Um, and yeah, that's tricky right now with the current Shadow DOM spec um, because Shadow DOM does not let the selectors, you know, execute uh, below a Shadow DOM boundary. Um, so there's two kind of approaches there. You know, one is figuring out user land solutions since you do control both sides of the element, the use site and the definition site. Um, and what we see there is uh, people create like theming systems. Um, where they take the same style sheet and either apply it in all the shadow roots. Um, and the browsers are able to optimize using the same style sheet over and over again. So that gen generally ends up being fine. Um, or they um, uh, have a system where they might have some registry of small bits of styles that get pulled into different components. Um, so Vaadin is a company that uses a, a lot of web components. They make a lot of web components and they use Polymer and Lit. Um, and they have like a Vaadin themable mix-in that kind of does this. So like your app can register a whole bunch of uh, partial theme styles and then the components pull them in and apply them in their shadow root. 
Um, so that's kind of the user land side of things. Um, yeah, and where things get really tricky, I think, is when you have a design system team uh, that wants to vend a set of components and they want some control over their styles. So they use, they use Shadow DOM, but they potentially are having their components used inside of an app that also has a global style sheet that then customizes some of the design system. And they might've customized it in a non-shadow root implementation of the design system before. So as the design system team moves to Shadow DOM, they get a problem where the app team's customizations no longer apply. Um, or maybe they're using a global like bootstrap or tailwind style sheet or something like that. And, and this is actually a pretty tricky one to figure out right now with Shadow DOM. Um, so uh, I have proposed in the web component spec a variation on the shadow DOM encapsulation that I'm calling open styleable shadow roots. And the idea there is that the styles inside of the shadow root would still be encapsulated. They wouldn't leak down or up, um, but the shadow root itself would be open to selectors uh, from above it in the enclosing shadow root of the document applying to inside of that shadow root. Um, I do not know how viable uh, this idea is. Uh, I'm not a browser implementer, um, but I think it represents like what a lot of developers are asking for. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's a kind of thing of like working with the implementers. Um, we talked about it recently with, um, uh, with Mozilla um, and Chrome, um, bringing it up with, with Apple. There's a GitHub issue in the web component spec repo. Um, so it's, it's kind of a tricky thing because, you know, there, there are some pretty massive performance, you know, potholes that you want to avoid while trying to design this feature. And so it's going to be a question of like threading the needle, like, can we get um, a restrictive enough set so that uh, uh, of what you can style so that it's performant, but uh, not so restrictive that the feature isn't useful. Um, so we'll see. I'm going to push on that a lot because I hear it. Uh, a ton from our customers, um, especially when they're in a mixed situation like that, that they really need this ability to let some styles um, go through. I am very excited to continue playing with the new release of Lit 2.0, but one thing I'm very curious with is what what new potential features might be coming down the pipeline? Is there anything that you can potentially share with us that uh, your team is potentially working on for any upcoming releases? Yeah, so aside from SSR, um, which is you know obviously one of the big next uh, things to focus on, uh, we also have you know some ideas around um, a CLI and a template compiler. Um, so I've been playing with a CLI. There's a PR up there for an initial CLI uh, prototype. Uh, I'm not sure that PR is actually that great. Um, so we'll keep iterating on that. But but one of the interesting things that we want to do with the CLI um, is try to build, bundle up some of these operations that we have in our starter kit projects. Um, so our starter kits will do things like, you know, lint all your code, uh, bundle it if necessary, uh, produce uh, a documentation site, um, things like that. And we do that right now with a bunch of other tools like, Web Component Analyzer and 11D and uh, Lit Analyzer. So we've kind of made these NPM scripts that tie all this together. We kind of like to just throw that into a CLI. So you can have like CLI build, CLI bundle, CLI docs, you know, and, and just make it very easy. Um, and then as part of that, we've been playing around with uh, pre-compiled Lit templates. 
Um, so one of the nice things about the new release is that it's smaller and faster than the old release. Um, but uh, it still uses the the main lineHTML technique of the first time it sees a template, it uh, kind of prepares that template. It, it gets it parsed by the browser and it records where all the dynamic expressions are. And it builds up this data structure that kind of represents uh, you know, the template HTML uh, and where all the data goes for it. Um, so one thing we added in lit2 was the ability for lit to understand a pre-compiled template. Um, and so basically that data structure is just pre-baked and lit takes it and, and skips all the prep steps. And we saw a pretty significant performance improvement um, on top of an already fast library. Um, so the, the infrastructure is there for lit to consume compiled templates. We just don't have the compiler written yet. Uh, we have another prototype of it in a PR. So I think that'll be something we, um, uh, we work on. And the idea is like, you just run this compiler over your app and you just get kind of instant performance improvement for first render. Great. Well, we're uh, sort of wrapping up here and, you know, just th thought it'd be time for sort of last thoughts. I think for me personally, just put a shout out again to everybody that's listening to this um, to give Lit uh, a shot, to try it out on a side project, try it out on a little um, tool that you might be using, um, you know, evaluate it. There's a lot of discourse that goes on online surrounding web components. And I think a lot of people might have the impression based on some of those conversations that this would feel very different than the frameworks that they're used to. And I think each of us remarked when we came from React projects or review projects or, uh, or anything else that when we sat down with Lit, a lot of the pathways in your brain map to all of the things that Lit is doing, intuitively understanding when renders are occurring and reoccurring, what states and props are, you know, what these lifecycle methods are. It has its own quirks, but so much of it travels from any other type of development you're doing. And it really does enable some cool use cases. So just absolute shout out, recommendation from, again, all of us, uh, that it is definitely something that is production ready and something that is fun to play with on the side, even for quick projects. So uh, that's my final shout out. I don't know for Matthew, did you have anything that you wanted to end on? Yes, I I definitely want to strongly recommend anyone who may not have tried out web components and who are kind of like playing around with different frameworks to give Lit a shot. It really, really, really is a powerful way to write a front end. I love how you can just write your templates in straight up JavaScript. You don't need JSX. It's just template literals. And you have an expressive way to create a data-driven UI. How about you, Luis? Any last thoughts? Yeah, I cannot agree more because in the past months I've been working actively with the lead element. Yeah, of course, I'm going to give a try the new features of lead. And of course, con congrats, uh, Justin, for, for the new release too. It's great to hear, uh, you know, your your thoughts on lit because, like, that's exactly what we're going for. Like, we're trying to make web components easy to build, and easy means being familiar um, uh, to people. So, you know, having those patterns map from other frameworks is exactly what we're trying to do. So, thanks. And as we close out, are there any particular ways that people that are listening to this uh, can get involved? I don't know that we've referenced it in passing, but I don't know if you want to call out the new documentation site or, or if there's any other um accounts or places that people should be looking to to kind of get involved or to give you guys feedback or to hear what's going on yeah so the easiest starting point is just the new website lit.dev um and then from there we have our like social media and community links so um we have a very active slack channel with a super helpful community in there 
Um, we have uh, a Twitter handle. Uh, it's build with lit. Um, and some people are using the hashtag built with lit uh, for some of their tweets. Um, uh, yeah. And then, you know, our project is hosted on GitHub. We have a link there from our site too. Um, it's lit slash lit uh, on GitHub. And uh, yeah, we're getting some really good issues right now and preparing for the uh, the final stable release of lit too, which, which I hope is um, not very far away at all. Um, so if people can try it out and give us feedback, uh, we really appreciate it. All right. Well, that is it for us for today. Thank you for listening to this modern web podcast on lit and web components. Thank you, of course, to our guest, Justin. As always, the conversation does not stop here. If you have any comments on this, you can find Justin online on Twitter at Justin Fignani. That's J-U-S-T-I-N-F-A-G-N-A-N-I. You can find Luis on Twitter at... Uh, L oh, let me say, let me just spell it out for you because I don't even know how to pronounce that one precisely, but L-U-I-X-A-V-I-L-E-S. And Matthew, you can find on Twitter at Mastapegs. That's at M-A-S-T-A-P-E-G-S. You can find me online at RoboCell. As for the podcast, you can find us online at moderndotweb.com or on Twitter at modernweb. As always, thank you as well to our sponsor, Dexecure, and we will see you all next time. podcast is sponsored by this.labs, a framework agnostic consultancy that specializes in JavaScript. You can find them at this.co slash labs. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O slash labs. Come on, let's go, cause we got a show for you.